You are listening to a true gospel perspective from our Macedonia Baptist Church ministerial staff. We pray that this message will be a true blessing to you. Amen, when you have it. We'll begin our reading at verse number 22. And it reads, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And that not thy name cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. From this passage of scripture, I would like to pin for a thought this morning and hope that it provokes a thought in you. Saved or self-deceived? That's the question today. Saved or self-deceived? Jesus takes this opportunity early on in his ministry to teach his disciples about the kingdom of heaven. He makes it clear that his kingdom is not of this world. And although we may be citizens in this world here, we got a home that's beyond the skies where we have dual citizenship. And because we have dual citizenship, we must conduct ourselves according to the rules of this earthly world in which we're in. But understand there's some kingdom rules. There's some kingdom attributes. There are some things that's inside of us that have been deposited inside of us as being king, uh, citizens of the kingdom of God. And so Jesus begins to teach them about the kingdom of God. He gives them clear instructions. And what he really shows them is that you've been following up behind poor leadership. The Pharisees were the leaders of that time. And Jesus tells them, unless you exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, you can't have any part with my kingdom. This must have been daunting to them. Because they held the Pharisees in high esteem. But Jesus put it like this about the Pharisees. He said they're like a graveyard. They're clean on the outside, but on the inside, they're full of dead men's bones. And he calls them hypocrites. And you know what a hypocrite is, right? Hypocrite is one that just plays church. 
someone that, that looks like a Christian, even sounds like a Christian, but when it really comes down to it, are they really a Christian or have they self-deceived themselves? Understand, this is a question that only you can answer. I don't stand in the place of saying whether or not you're a Christian or not. I don't stand in the place of saying whether you're saved or not. That takes self-examination. It takes one looking within oneself and having a deep and honest view of your life. You have to examine yourself. I did not come to point any fingers. I came to serve you notice that if we do not examine ourselves, if we do not look within internally and see if Christ is really residing in us, we find ourselves in jeopardy of missing the kingdom of God. But the choice is yours. And so Jesus takes this opportunity to tell them. And so, and I would encourage you to read the entire Sermon on the Mount from chapter 5 through chapter 7 because it'll fill in some of the, 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 the blank pieces that I, I will not cover this morning because it's so much. So much to cover. But Jesus begins this, this sermon to his disciples and to those who would hear with giving them beatitudes and telling them how they can have some level of happiness in this world. But nowhere in the beatitudes where you see that Jesus said, acquire things to be happy. Nowhere will you find that he said, the more that you get, the more happier you'll be. But he talks about that within us. Talks about us being merciful, being pure in heart. These are the things that Jesus says will bring us happiness on this side. The problem that I see with the church is that the church does not want to have mercy on other people, and they've been the ones that have experienced the best mercy. If God has forgiven us, if God has given us mercy, then who are we not to extend mercy? If God has given us compassion, then who are we not to extend compassion to other folk? We spend so much time fault-finding and pointing fingers and talking about folk. Instead of being there as a, as a helper to help folk get through th some things. Somebody helped us get through some things. I know they helped me get through some things. So who are we that we will not extend out and help others? So Jesus began to tell them. He teaches on many things in this Sermon on the Mount. If you read it, you'll see what I'm talking about. But he teaches on so many things. Here at the end of his sermon, this is, this is his climactic end. Jesus made it clear to his followers that they should live a life that is noticeably different than other people, noticeably different than the world. 
that we are to be distinct from the world. Even though we're living in the world, we're to be a difference from the world. In other words, folks shouldn't get the same thing from you that they get from the world. So, so, so when people come against you, when people talk about you, when people lie on you, you don't return evil for evil, you return good for evil. That, that, that's what he's talking about here. But what's the problem? Well, the problem is that most folk are too full of themselves. You know how we are. We, 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 we got to get you told if you get wrong with us. We got to give you a piece of our mind. And every now and again, we will ball up our fists and fight you back. But we're called to something different than that. Understand, it's interesting that, the, that, that many of Jesus' teachings and commands for his followers was to do better than the society allows or expects. You see, because the society will allow you to cuss every now and again and be a Christian. But we're to go beyond that. Just because they allow it don't mean that it is permissible through Scripture. And we must understand that we must conduct ourselves in a way that is pleasing unto the Lord. Jesus commands it. This is not a suggestion. This is a command from Jesus. That we're to live our lives in such a manner that we represent Jesus Christ in the best light that we can. Many of us, many of us, many of us have putting on the name Christian. There are millions of people across the world that name the name Christian. But do not walk the ordinance of the Bible as a Christian. And how can you call yourself a Christian if you do none of what Christ says? If you don't obey none of his, the things that he said, how can you call yourself Christian? Listen here. Here's a real good indicator of whether or not we are Christian or not. If you can't love folk like Christ has commanded us to love, if you're still mean-spirited and hateful, how can we call ourselves Christians? We must look eternal, internal. We must look inside and see are we loving like we should be loving. And listen, when I say loving, I'm not talking about that fluffy type of love. I'm talking about that sacrificial love that Christ gave upon the cross. That's the love that does it. Listen here, did you not know that's the love that affects the world? That's the type of love that the world cannot comprehend. That's when you're giving the world something that the world cannot give itself. Because it's impossible for you to love like that if you have not been regenerated by the Spirit of God. He gives us the power and the authority to live these lives in which he's called us to. And it's our responsibility to examine ourselves and see whether or not we're in the faith. Yes, it is. Are we in the faith? Am I fitting the criteria of what a believer looks like? Am I walking this thing out? Am I walking in humility? Or am I puffed up? Do I want to like Burger King and want it my way all the time? Jesus defines it. 
He tells them that you must go beyond what you've been doing. In Matthew, the fifth chapter, he said, you have heard that it was said, you should not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This goes beyond the law. The law said don't commit adultery, but Jesus takes it a step further. And I was wondering to myself, I said, well, Jesus, I mean, we can't even keep the law, let alone this. It's difficult to keep the law. You can't, it's impossible to keep the law. But how can we keep this? How can we still make it into the kingdom if we can't even keep this? And just like the law, this, this, this whole Sermon on the Mount is designed to point you to the one who could. And that's Jesus Christ himself. It's impossible for me to do this. And most men will tell you, looking at a woman lustfully, all of us have done it. I see the smiles on your face. Yeah, all of us have done it. It's sin. It's adultery. How can we keep it? Well, it drives me to the loving arms of Christ. It drives me to a commitment to Christ. It drives me to, to a perfect relationship with Christ. Not perfect on my end, but perfect on his end. Because Christ makes up the difference of everything that I need to get to the kingdom. He makes up the difference. Jesus teaches on a lot of different subjects like justice and care for the needy, the handling of the religious law. He even deals with divorce and fasting and judging people. But he also deals with salvation. And that's the critical element of this whole message is salvation. My hope is that you will look and examine yourself. Did you not know that millions of people in the United States and across the world die from preventable diseases such as cancer. And the main reason why they die from these preventable diseases is because they failed and they ignore the early signs and symptoms. And I'm afraid that the church has fallen into the same pattern that we're ignoring the signs of the sin of cancer. And we won't get treatment from the Lord Jesus Christ that he might be able to cure us from the sin, sick nature that we have. And so we must examine our, just like a woman will examine herself for breast cancer or a man will examine himself, you need to examine yourself in the spirit. You might be able to bring it to Calvary. You might be able to bring it to the cross. Jesus, in the fifth chapter, gives a metaphor of two elements that we are familiar with. One is tangible. The other one is not. One is salt. He said, ye are the salt of the earth. Anybody that knows anything about salt... Salt is one that it gives flavor. 
but it also preserves, it's a substance. It's a mixture of two chemicals, sodium and chloride. And when these chemicals come together, they have a great usefulness for us in this world today. The problem with us is that we get too much salt. But salt in moderation is good, not just for the taste, but it's also good for medicinal purposes. For it is salt that regulates the, 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 the water that's in the blood in our body and keeps us from having high blood pressure. But it must, be, it must have a balance. There must be a balance between the two of them. You can't get too much salt. In much of the same way, Christians, we are the salt of the earth. You, you are what gives this world flavor. It's you the reason why God has not rained down his judgment on this world is because of you, the Christian. You have preservation problems. We, we preserve this earth. And because God's love for us, because us pleasing God through our faith, because it's impossible to please God without faith. And the world does not have faith in God. We have faith in God. Did you not know that you are the only reason that God is pleased with this earth? Because of you, the believer. And that's why it's important for you to know, without a shadow of a doubt, that you've been born again, that you've been saved by the power of God. But if you're faking it, you have no authority. You have no protection. And you're bound and on your way to destruction. The other one is light. But Jesus said, you are the light of the world. Now light is something that is very peculiar because you really cannot define light. It's much easier for me to tell you what light does than rather what, what, what light is because all light comes from God. And whereas salt represents our character, it's the substance that's down inside of us. The light represents our conduct. And so what's on the inside of us should be shine outward to this world. We don't take that light in hand and uh, put it up underneath a bushel, but we let the whole world see that what's down inside of us, that which is preserving this kingdom, this world, is emulated through our light. The light that Jesus gives. So Jesus gives us the word and what we look like as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, a member of the kingdom. And he goes throughout teaching, telling them what they must do, how they must get to the kingdom. And so in chapter number seven, he starts it off with these famous words. And everybody knows it in this church. Even unbelievers know it because they're quick to quote it. Judge not, lest ye be judged. Everybody wants a judgment-free zone. You're not the judge. You can't judge me. Well, you're absolutely right. Because you need to judge yourself. You need to look in God's word and see what God's word is saying about you. 
Understand that Jesus is not telling us as believers that we cannot judge. By all means, we can judge. As a matter of fact, if you look at verse number six, he said, don't give that which is holy to the dogs. And don't cast your pearls before the swine. Well, if I don't make a judgment, how do I know you're a dog? How do I know you're a swine? There has to be a certain level of discernment that Christians have. We, we have an ability to discern what's right and what's wrong, what's biblical and what's not. And that's the only way that you'll help people get out of their sinfulness if you will go to them in love, speak the truth in love, and let them know that, hey, listen here, I'm here for you. I'm here to restore you. So that's a part of our job. So he talks about judging. And he tells us, and I believe the reason why Jesus put here this here is because it forces us. When we judge ourselves, it forces us to examine ourselves. It forces us to look at ourselves. It forces us to contemplate on some of the things that we've been doing, some places that we've been going, some people that we've been hanging around with, some belief systems that we've been having. It forces us to do that. And so he said, he said that not every, the text said, not every man that comes to me and say, Lord, Lord, not every man that comes to me and say, Master, Master. In other words, how can you say Lord, Lord, or Master, Master, if Jesus is not Lord or Master of your life? If, if, if you're still in control of your life, if you still have this, this shallow ambition of life, how can Jesus be your Lord? And I just believe that that's a problem somewhat. Is that Jesus is not Lord of many believers in the church lives. We're still trying to matriculate through this world by hook or crook. We're still trying to make things happen. It's still resting and trusting in the Lord. Understand this, understand this. God has shown me without a shadow of a doubt that he's got me. There's very few battles that I have to fight. And usually when I have to fight a battle, I'm standing in full armor with the whole armor of God. Because I realize that every time I try to fight a battle, every time I try to, 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 to get back at folk, God showed me with no uncertainty that I was in the wrong. You are to be still and let the Lord fight your battles. The reason being because you keep fighting the wrong folk. You keep fighting the wrong things. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So God wants to fight it for you because he is your Lord. He is your master. But he said, he said, he said that no man who says, Lord, Lord, not all men who say, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of God. And here's some of the most polarizing statements that anybody could ever hear from. He said that he will say unto them, 
Depart from me, ye that work iniquity, or ye that work lawlessness. I never knew you. I never knew you. This is not that I used to know you at one time. But here he said that I never knew you. In other words, what he's saying is not that, I mean, God knows everything. What he's saying is that I never had that intimate relationship with you. To know means that there's a level of intimacy between you and the person. As a matter of fact, in, in Genesis, when, when the Bible said that, 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 that Adam knew Eve, they conceived a child. There's a level of intimacy. And here he's saying that he never had that intimate moment with you. You never came in through the door. The doors of the church opened up. You walked down the aisles. You sat in the chair. You gave the preacher your hand. You even went upstairs and you prayed a prayer. But if it never impacted, if it never changed your life, if it never caused you to want to live right and to honor God's word, then you were never saved. You've been self-deceived. It takes that. It takes that intimate walk with Christ. That, that, that walk with, that was prepared for you at Calvary. That's what it takes. It takes you really getting down and, and, and loving God's word and understanding God's word and realizing how God's word changes your life. I'll give you a brief testimony. When I gave my life to Christ, or maybe not, when I know I wasn't living right, all of us have been there. When I knew without a shadow of a doubt I wasn't living right, there were times that I drove my car all the way up to 5080 Belmont Street in Hamtramck, Michigan. And I put my hand on the door to open the church door and turned around and got in my car and went back home. Because I knew I wasn't living right. And I know that that man sitting in the balcony was going to say something that was going to prick my heart and cause me to want to live right. I knew that. And I just didn't want to hear it. But pastor, let me tell you something. I heard it. On my drive home, I heard it. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. I heard that the soul that sinneth shall surely die. I heard it. Until I got brave enough to go ahead and open up that door. I still didn't sit in the sanctuary. I went up in the balcony. Because I felt like it wouldn't hit me up in the balcony. But oh my God, my God. The word began to whoop me. Began to get me to a place to where I had no escape. I had nowhere to go. It bothered me when I was asleep. It bothered me when I was awake. And finally, I surrendered. I told God. I'll live for you, Ralph. I'll give you my all. Because I got no place to go, Lord. I have no place else to turn, Lord. I need you. 
And when I tell you that's the best and the greatest decision that I ever made in my life, Because when I turned my life over to God, he took control of my life. And let me tell you something. I have not looked back not one time. Because he is. God is. Yes, he is. He's everything that I needed. He's everything that I ever desired. And understand that if he can do that for me, he can do the same thing for you. All it takes is you surrendering unto God. Give him all of your life. And if you're unsaved, this is a perfect, perfect opportunity for you. Because God will take your past and throw it into the sea of forgetfulness. And remember it no more. God will give you a clean slate. He'll clean up every mistake you made in your life. Not to say you won't have some consequences, but God will get you through it. Because that's who he is. And that's what he's promised to do. It just takes you obedience. It takes you surrendering. It takes you giving it all to him. Because of his awesome love for you. God loved you enough to send his very best. There's nothing that you could do with you. Nothing you could do with your sinfulness, our sinfulness. There's nothing we can do with it but waddle in it. But because of God's awesome love for us, how much he loved us, he sent his best that he might eradicate the, the penalty of sin, that he might come in to your life. But a price had to be paid. An awesome price had to be paid. And God came down in the form of man through 42 generations, he came down in the form of man. Came down wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger, and growing in stature with man and God. Yes, he's a miracle worker. He's a healer. He raised the dead. He healed the sick. Gave sight to the blind. But his greatest miracle was on Mount Calvary. Hallelujah. On Mount Calvary, where they took him and they nailed him to an old rugged cross. Nailed him in his hands. Nailed him in his feet. Hung his head in the locks of his shoulders. And he died for your sin. He died for my sin. He gave himself for you. That we might have eternal life. Yes, they buried him in a tomb. But early on the third day, he rose with all power. Holy Ghost power in his hand. He paid the price. He gave all for you. He gave it up for you. So why can't we surrender to him? Give him all of us. Because he gave everything for us. Gave up his life. And now he's seated at the right hand side of the father. He's still working on our behalf because he's making intercessions for you. He's telling God all about it. Yes, even when you're still struggling with your sin, God is telling the Lord about it. So we thank, praise God for all that he's done. We rejoice. What is required for self-examination? Are you saved? We hope you enjoyed this message today. And we pray that it was a true blessing to you. If you are interested in learning more about Pastor Charles D. Twyman, 
and the Macedonia Baptist Church family, you can reach out to us at www.mbcdet.com. Thank you, and God bless you.